Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. I want to ask you a question. How do you worship? How do you worship? Like, what, what is your way? Like, what do you do when you worship God? What, how do you worship? What does that look like to you? Um, if you want to take a second, type it in your phone, or, or think through, like, these are the things that I do, or this is what my worship looks like. Make sense? You guys got that question? Just take, take a minute. Let it soak. How do you worship? Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. We're looking at this final week of Christ, the final week before his crucifixion, uh, these last seven days. And, and there's so many awesome things where, honestly, the story of Christ and his ministry on the earth is kind of accelerating. And this is a really intense week with a lot of ministry and a lot of important events. And as we look toward Easter, as we look toward remembering the resurrection, we look toward the cross and the price that he paid for us through the crucifixion. As we look toward those things, there's these final moments where Jesus is like, he knows this is his last week. And so he makes some pretty intense um, examples for us. He's sharing all these parables. He's sharing all these stories and things get kind of, they move quickly here in this last week. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, And I want to start in verse 1. And Matthew and Mark, their gospels are really similar in the way they portray these accounts. They, They have the same kind of lineup for us to look through the story. So Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, let's pause there for a second, okay? I want you to see what's happening. Matthew and Mark, they parallel in a similar way. They go into two different stories back-to-back, actually three different accounts back-to-back in a row. So it's another, like last week was one of those story sandwiches with the fig tree and the, and the temple in the middle. This is a similar thing happening here where these gospels give us the same thing so that we understand something. There's a concept that the gospels want us to understand. Make sense? And so we have to see this picture. And so in the midst of Jesus' final week, we see this this is what's happening. Jesus says these things and he's like, hey, just so you know, Passover's coming and the Son of Man will be crucified. Like, I'm going to die. Like, this is happening quickly, right? And then both, like, it's actually the stories in, in, in all four of the Gospels, but what we see here is in Matthew and Mark, it goes back then. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So it's actually going from the story of like, hey, just so you know, there's a plot to kill Jesus. Jesus recognized and has said he's going to die. Just so you know that that's something happening. Let's go back to earlier in the week when they were at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. 
First of all, how would you like to be known as Simon the leper? What I get here is Jesus isn't at some guy who has leprosy house, because first of all, that was illegal then. You couldn't stay in your house if you had leprosy. You had to live with the lepers, outside of the community, away from people. So that's not what's happening. Simon doesn't currently have leprosy, all right? He used to have leprosy. And, and I'm going to take a wild guess and say that Jesus was probably the one that cured the incurable disease of leprosy. And so he's there with them in Bethany having this meal together. Simon the leper. I, I just, I, I, it, Simon had leprosy, but for some reason Matthew still remembers him as the leper. This would be like, I don't know, today like Tony the flu or, I don't know, John the Ebola virus. Like not a name you want to be known as, right? Like that's what's happening here. Like this guy who had this thing, we're with him now. We're with him. We're, we're celebrating. There's a meal happening. You guys get the picture. So this is a flashback to earlier in the week at Simon the leper's house. And a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me to deliver over to you? Deliver him over to you. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. You have this plot against Jesus, right? Where Jesus knows crucifixion is coming. It's happening. You have this woman, which we find out in John's gospel, is Mary, the sister of Martha, brother of La her brother Lazarus, Right? She's there, and she comes, and she pours out expensive ointment on him and worships him. And Jesus says that she's done a beautiful thing. You have this act of worship for Jesus here. And then Judas, a disciple, is frustrated by this act. Remember, it says the disciples were asking questions. Why, why would you let her do this? It doesn't make sense. And what does Judas go out to do then after her act of worship? He goes out to betray. How much will you give me for him? There, we have a, a picture, this was actually Ben put it together because it was his message first. Um, just so you can see the image here of, you, did you scratch it? You scratched it. You took my, Ben's message out and you scratched it. <laughs> There's a picture of, of, imagine with me what this looks like. They're reclining at the table. And I've talked about this a little bit before. But So you would basically have almost like a horseshoe shape of tables, low tables. And you would have like benches or couches that were basically a low table as well. And you would lay at that with your head near your food and you would recline on your left hand and eat with your right hand, okay? And it would be in a horseshoe shape. So one, one this way, this way, this way. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You can picture this. They don't need the picture that they scratched. Um, and they, in Roman culture, you would have three on each side. 
And the reason for three on each side is because it had to do with the gods. Like we would appease the gods by only having this many people on each side had to do with the Roman gods. Greeks and Jews did not do that. They had the same laying style, but more people at a side, right? So picture this. They're laying down, feet behind them, propped on an arm, head in the center, and you could walk in the middle of the horseshoe, and you could stand at the end of the, the, the reclined tables as well, reaching the feet, reaching the head. Food here at the head, which to me sounds like a really uncomfortable way to leave to eat. Laying on my stomach with one hand under my heavy head trying to eat food, right? I I would eat way less if that's how I had to eat. I think we need to buy one of those tables for my house. Nobody wants to come to my house for dinner anymore all of a sudden. That sounds terrible. Anyway, that's how they ate. And so what we see is Mark tells us then how much this perfume cost. It was about one year wages. So this woman, which we find out in John, is is Mary. She comes and she anoints. This one says the head, but John and the other ones say feet. And it was actually, it's both. She's taking this ointment and she anoints his head in the middle. And she goes to his feet and anoints his feet. And then she takes her hair, we see, and she wipes his, his oil, cleans his feet with her hair. This is a beautiful moment. And the disciples, their minds are blown. She literally takes what this oil that cost a year's wages and pours it out in one moment of worship at Jesus' head and his feet. And Jesus is like, hey, she's preparing me for burial. Guys, this is a beautiful thing she's done. Now, I don't know. I mean, I go to like Walmart to get my cologne, um, my perfume, cologne, cologne, however it's pronounced. And... It doesn't cost me a year's wages. If that happened, I would have marriage issues for sure um, if I spent that much money. But today, what we can think of, please tell me you have the other image, Andy. Please tell me you scratched the other image as well. We should have worked this out beforehand. Just because Ben's not here doesn't mean we didn't talk a little bit. (laughs) It's okay. So I have another image. You can look it up somewhere online. But to me, when I was thinking of expensive oils, we kind of live in this culture right now where there is an oil craze. Not only is there a craze, but this craze is essential oils. <laughs> like, and I remember when I first heard about essential oils, boy, how I mocked you people um, in my heart. And then Andy bought me an essential oils thing for the office, and I love some essential oils now. It smells great. But Ben did some research, and there's this one essential oil that costs $43,000 for a thing of essential oil. Like, I mean, that's more than your average annual wage in this area, right? $43,000 for essential oils, and you know somebody's buying that stuff, right? It's expensive. And uh, we don't really have, like, too much of perfume that costs a year's wage. We don't really do that anymore. But, like, imagine if you spent your $43,000 that you make or whatever you make a year and you bought one thing of essential oils for your diffuser, right? You're crazy, just so you know. Like, like I love that Andy bought me that little thing and I fill it up in there once in a while. Like, it smells great. I love the smell. I love it. But I'm not dropping a lot of money on that stuff, right? And some of you do, and you believe there's health benefits, and I'm not coming against that. I love the smell of oils now. It's great, right? I'm not against that. 
What I'm saying, though, is in this moment, she took something of a tremendous value and poured it out in one shot, one shot on Jesus, on his feet. And they begin to bicker about it. She, she pours it all out, everything she had, she pours it on his, his feet. And Jesus says, hey, by doing so, she's preparing me for burial. Her worship is a prophetic act of what's happening here. She's partnering with what I'm doing. She's coming and laying down all she has for all that I'm about to do. She gets the moment. She understands this time that she is in, and she's laying herself down. In that culture, a woman's hair was her glory. And she took her hair, and she places it at his feet and rubs her hair in that oil on his feet to clean his feet. She kneels before him. She places herself in a humble spot. She says, not my glory, but your glory. Does that make sense? It's not about me. It's not about what I have and the riches that I've accumulated. It's about you. In this moment, in this space, it's only about you. And they're mad at her. In fact, John tells us who starts this problem. It's Judas. Judas is angry. He doesn't get this. And he begins to stir contention with the disciples, and they ask questions like, why, why would he let her do this? Couldn't... Couldn't we use this money, this oil, for something else? Couldn't we sell this for your ministry or to build your future kingdom or to to take care of the poor? Jesus, that's our excuse. The poor. We're going to take care of the poor. And Jesus says, the poor you've always had, you always will have. You haven't done anything with them yet, right? You will always have them. But now, me, I'm in this moment, in this space, and she gets it and you don't. He he rebukes them. They They rebuke her worship. He rebukes them and their heart for missing the moment of true worship. And what is Judas's response? He goes out, what can I get for this guy? I'm done with him. I'm done with his kingdom because it doesn't make sense. What can I get now? Do you guys see what's happening here? Judas missed his moment of worship because he was more concerned for his own glory. Do you know how much 30 pieces of silver is worth? About four months' wages. She pours out a year's wages. He takes in four months. She gives all that she can for something eternal. And he pours out, or he takes what he can for something so temporary. And we see, if you know the story of Judas, he ends up hanging himself. And that money's cast into the ground and it's disregarded and buried, right? It's worthless. There's, there's this moment of beautiful worship that's taking place, and he completely missed it. His concern, though, it sounded more righteous, but it was birthed in unrighteousness. It, it sounded right. We could take care of the poor, but it was not in righteousness. His concern sounded like it was after the heart of the kingdom, but it was after a heart building his own kingdom. I want you to see, like, how many times do we see Mary in the, in the gospel accounts? When we see Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. When it's her and a sister and Martha's making a meal, where's Mary? She's at his feet listening, receiving. Here, she's at his feet pouring out ointment. Another time when she's coming confused, she runs, she kneels at the feet of Jesus. It's always, she's always at his feet. She's always in a place of worship and receiving his presence. Is I'm giving what I have, I humble myself, and I just want to 
absorb all that you are. I just take in what you're teaching. I just take in this moment. I prepare you for this season. I'm in this space of worship. And you know what else we find? Every time that she comes before Jesus' feet, she's ridiculed. That others don't get it. Do you guys notice that? She comes and Martha's like, she's supposed to be cooking. She's supposed to be taking care of this place. That's how she's supposed to serve you. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha. She has the higher reward. She's at my feet. She has the greater reward. And then the disciples are like, Jesus, we could use this for something else. And he's like, you've always had these other things. But she's done a beautiful thing. And the whole world will know about it. The whole world will know about it. See, it's, it's all worship. When Mary is at the feet of Jesus, it's worship. When, when, when people come to him with songs, when they sing Hosanna, it's worship. When Mary pours out her ointment, it's worship. These, the, Mary had a heart going after worship to the one who was in front of her. Every time she's accused, Jesus responds by saying, this is her worship, not yours. This is her moment, not yours. You guys, you guys with me this morning? It's, it's all worship. When we come together as a church, we see a few New Testament examples of what worship looks like. We see it in the scripture and, and, and the ways that God desires our worship. Through songs, through clapping, through making music, through singing, through raising holy hands. We see a lot of different models of worship, right? But Jesus receives this act of worship, and he makes it a model for us. Like, this was, not, this was not something that was like, hey, here's the textbook. Go pour oil on his feet. But Jesus received that as worship, didn't he? He, he took it in and said, this is what it is. She gets this moment. He makes this thing the model. Jesus says it's a beautiful thing. It's a good work is literally what it transcribes as. It's a beautiful, good work. He fully accepts what she pours out. What she surrenders, he takes in. And he says, it, it'll be proclaimed through the whole world. That word world, which is hard for me to say, word, word world, by the way. That word world is cosmos. Cosmos. That means it's like out of this world. It's cosmic, right? It's, it's beyond what we can see, what we can feel in this small space. It's, it's massive. And Jesus isn't just saying, hey, her story is going to go around this area. He's saying this goes beyond what you understand. It's cosmic proportions. Her story goes throughout the cosmos, declaring worship, declaring this moment. She will be remembered for this act of worship. See, this morning, what I want you to understand is that just as last week, Jesus was in his final days was saying, hey, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's saying every country, every tribe, every person come worship me here in this moment. He's saying I'm taking a woman's act of worship, which was strange in that culture, by the way. A woman didn't have a place of value, really. And he's like, I'm taking hers and making a model of it, and it doesn't fit your, your paradigm for worship. It goes beyond that thing. 
It, it doesn't fit your structure. It doesn't fit the way that you think, Judas, and the rest of the disciples, that I should receive worship, that I should be glorified, and that I should build my kingdom. It doesn't fit your box. So we might say, Jesse, how should we worship? Scripture gives us a ton of examples of what worship is. But what we really see is he's inviting us to a place of he wants your heart, your worship, your thing. I've been reading this book um, for my class, actually. I'm taking a master's class at Lancaster Bible College. And uh, I'm in the middle of this class, and it's called Sacred Pathways. Um, And it's really been rocking me. And I I just want to share a thought from it. It it basically just explains how each one of us are wired completely different. How many of you guys have heard of the Myers-Briggs test? Just curious. Like the personality, like 16 different groupings of personalities. And so we're all wired a little bit differently. And there's all these different personality tests that you can take and stuff like that. But he basically, in a similar way, says that God sees each one of us are wired differently. And we are naturally positioned to worship and to connect with the Father in different ways from each other. So, like, the way that I find intimacy with God and the way I pour out my worship isn't going to be the same way Martin pours out his worship. Make sense? And what this thing does is it actually breaks down nine different categories of worship, all based in Scripture that we see biblical examples of where people come and bring their worship and they connect and hear God in these different areas, okay? And so I just want to give you a quick overview of them. And and I I would challenge you to think, hey, maybe I've had a hard time disconnecting in this one area of worship or Christian duty. Not because you're a sinner and who has a heart turned off toward God, but maybe because you're positioned as a person to worship in your own unique way. That makes sense? Like Mary and Judas's worship were not the same. One, Judas didn't have a heart. But even look, look, look at Judas, or not Judas, Peter, he did have a heart, but you know what I'm saying, he didn't have a heart for worship. Look at Mary and Peter. Peter had a problem with this. Peter didn't understand it, but Peter was the most sold-out radical of the group, wasn't he? He didn't understand this moment because it didn't fit his box. This, this book here, um, and this guy is a professor at Western Seminary. He says there's the naturalist, somebody who worships God outside and sees God's beauty outside. That they, they climb a mountain to seek a place to pray and to take in all of God's glory, and they worship him in that space. That's where their hearts come alive and worship. Does that make sense? Then there's the, the sensates, somebody who loves God with the senses, sights, sounds, smells, architecture, music, language. There are musicians here that they just want to create music for worship. And we see that in David. He creates poetry. He creates words. He creates songs to worship God. We see the traditionalist, somebody who loves God through ritual and symbol. They love the symbols. They love sacrifice. They love, they love sacraments. They love being a part of something that's different than them. Make sense? And they just find a worship of God in those places. We see the aesthetics, somebody who comes and worships God in solitude and simplicity. Like, we don't need all this pomp, all this circumstance. We just need a quiet place to reflect and to pray. The activist, who's somebody who loves God through justice, bringing justice on the earth. Like, their sacrifice of worship is seeing those who are in bondage set free. Make sense? They go out, they proclaim, they bring the good news into acts of serving the least of these. We see caregivers who love God by helping, just loving the poor and the needy, those who are hurting, those who are oppressed. We see the enthusiasts, those who love the shout amen, those who love the dance around. David was that often as well. 
David loved dancing before the Lord. He loved to joyfully exclaim all that was in his heart before God. The enthusiasts, we see the contemplatives, those who just need a space of quiet adoration. They need to think about the beauty of God. And then the intellectuals, those loving God with their mind, studying, top, like digging into topics, wrestling with texts. I saw that, I was reading through this, and I, I've still been reading through that, and I thought, God has been, in this last week, God is constantly inviting us to a heart of worship. To just give me your heart, whatever it is, if it's serving the broken, if it's pouring out your riches and your abundance, if it's singing songs, if it's painting, if it's making music, if it's dancing before the Lord, if it's going out into the woods and finding a quiet time to pray, just give me your worship. Just give it. I'll take it all. God will take it all because he wants intimacy with us. He wants your heart to connect with his heart. That makes sense. And when the religious people stood back and mocked her, when the disciples did not get it because it didn't fit their box, they ridiculed Jesus said, stop. Just stop. This moment is a holy moment. This is a special thing. Worship, Jesus says, is about coming in spirit and in truth, right? You guys remember the story of the woman at the well? And, and, and he, he wrecks her with prophetic insight. He knows her story. And she tries to change the story. Like, hey, how, how, how about, like, we say we're supposed to worship over here. Where do you say we're supposed to worship? And Jesus is like, it's not about place or location. It's about spirit and in truth. Where's your heart? What's happening here? That's what it's about. You and I are different in our worship. There might be some overlap, especially when we come together in corporate worship. Like, we're all not going to start dancing, like the same dance, like a synchronized dance. It's probably not going to happen at City Lights. Some of us might dance, and there's freedom here for that. I, I've been to churches where some people have dancing, some people have, they have prophetic artwork taking place. They have worship artwork happening. Like, that might happen here someday. That might not happen here. What I'm saying is, and when we come together, we sing songs, and, and we, just like the New Testament gives us a model for, some has a hymn, some has spiritual songs we encourage, and there's a teaching of the text. This is corporate worship. But if your heart doesn't fully come alive in this building at this time and in this way, that's okay. That might sound crazy to you as a pastor who wants you to come together. It does, we don't forsake the gathering together, but you are given freedom to worship God with your sacrifice, with your expression. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful thing that Jesus has invited us to be a part of. And like, like I asked at the beginning of this, how do you worship? Maybe for some of you, you need to worship the Lord this week by simply going out to the woods and taking a walk and letting your heart be stirred by his beauty and thanking him for who he is. Maybe that's your worship. Maybe some of you guys do need to spend a year's salary and pour it out in oil. I don't know. That'd be strange, but maybe that is what you need to do. Maybe some of you need to actually serve the poor. Maybe you should sell your expensive essential oils and go serve the poor with them. Maybe. I don't know. Like, that's, that's not a me decision. You guys understand what I'm saying? 
This is not a church decision. This is a you and the Lord decision. How are you going to worship him? How are you going to recognize the moment of worship? A heart of worship is not searching for a style of worship, but an opportunity to worship. Let me say that again. A heart of worship is not searching for a style of worship, but an opportunity for it. Do you know how many people leave churches because they don't like the style of the music? Like, we, we just can't worship because the style is different. A heart of worship isn't concerned about style. It's looking for an opportunity. One of the most transformative moments of my life, I grew up in charismatic Pentecostal churches that almost all of our worship sounded like what we have here at Sunday morning. Modern songs, full band. When I was a kid, it was a little less modern, a little more country. A lot of the boom truck on the drums and some old gospel hymns and stuff like that. But it was still like lively and there was jumping up and down. This old guy, probably in his early 70s with a 12-string guitar. I think he knew how to play four strings. But he played a 12-string guitar, broke a string every Sunday morning. They were not the all-stars of the music scene, right? But my heart was about worship. That room was electrified because our hearts weren't about the instruments. They were about, God, we just give you this space, this time. We were in a basement of a house. About 60 of us packed into a basement of a house. You, you should see my basement. You don't want 60 of us in my basement. That's scary. That's scary. We, we were just worshiping the Lord there because it wasn't about the style. It was about the opportunity. Does that make sense? You're given a space to worship, so worship. I had to talk to my girls the other day. They were complaining about something. And I, I just reminded them, I said, Scripture says everything we do, we do to the Lord. So if you're going to do your, your homework, do it for the Lord. Don't, don't do it because you want to get the job done. Do it for the Lord. If, you, if I ask you to do a chore in the house, don't do it for me. Do it for the Lord. If, if you're playing with your friends, don't do it for your friends. Do it for the Lord. Everything we do gets to be an opportunity of worship if we choose to say, I'm taking this space, this moment, and I'm giving you glory. That makes sense. As we look toward the cross... Are we approaching him to worship him? Are we, are we looking at what all these churches do and saying, hey, I'm thankful that they have their moment of worship, we have our moment of worship, or are we judging the others? I mean, to me, I grew up judging anybody who put ash on their foreheads. It didn't make sense to me and my grouping of worshipers. Make sense? And now I realize that's the way that they're learning to worship. Let them worship. I never gave up anything for Lent in my whole life until last year. And it wasn't meat. <laughs> Let them worship. If it brings them to the presence of God, and of course they can do the motions just like you and I can do the motions every Sunday morning. We can come in here, often we come in here late, and we do our motions. But it's not, just like we sang this morning, it's not about the song, it's about our heart. Are we taking this space, this sacred moment to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? Are we building our kingdom with our worship or are we building His? What I want to do this morning, we're going to sing one more time, but, but I want this to be a little bit different for you. We are 
on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we gather together in corporate worship. But do you know that you have freedom and the invitation to worship outside of these walls? You have been invited in to worship him in spirit and in truth all day, every day. And I ask you, how do you worship? This week, he's inviting you into a place of worship and relationship, and only you can give him your worship. What is that sacrifice this week? What, what is that intimacy place? What, what is that quiet space? This book actually jokes at the beginning, if you're sick, you don't go to a doctor who has only two prescriptions, right? Penicillin and some other antibiotic. Like that, that's, you know, my daughter's ear infection that she had the other week, it's a very different medicine than what Ben needs right now. Make sense? And so for some reason in the church, though, when we are spiritually sick or we want to grow closer to the Father, when we get, want to grow in our walk with Him, when we want to go more and more into His image, what we tend to do is we hand out two prescriptions. Quiet time and coming to church on Sunday morning. Quiet time, coming to church on Sunday morning. And those are both great things that we should not forsake. Scripture says don't forsake the coming together. I get that, right? But you have been given something that only you can go and kneel before Him in. You've been given a place of intimacy that only you and him have. You've been given an act of worship that only you can express. So I want to challenge you. If, you need to, if you're a painter, paint something for his glory this week. If you're a songwriter or a, or a journaler, journal, worship with your journal this week. If you need to go for a walk, get away from work, go for a walk this week and spend time worshiping at his feet. Does that make sense? We get so busy and we wonder where our hearts are disconnected and it's because we've been trying to fit our worship into a routine or a box and it's not just something coming from the heart he's inviting you, in, you, you into a special place this week and I, and I challenge you to take it up as we look toward the cross as we look toward the resurrection he's inviting every nation, every tribe every man, every woman, to worship in every way possible. Would you stand? As we worship, I know I've said all these things, and it would be silly for me to say, hey, let's all just sing a song together. If you want to go dance, dance. The aisle is somewhat wide, the cafe is wide. If you need to sit, some people find worship in drawing or writing and journaling. If you need to sit down and do those things, do that. If you need to kneel and just pray and search your heart in a quiet space, do that too. You don't have to stand. I told you all to stand. You don't have to right now. <laughs> Does that make sense? If you want to come to the front and just kneel before the Lord around, around the altar space and just pray, seek His face, you can do that too. We're going to sing for a while and you have complete freedom to worship in your way in this space. Okay? Make sense? Please don't scream in the person's ear beside you. That would be rude. <laughs> but you can worship however you want this morning. Let's worship together. <laughs>